1: I am joined today by a guest co-host, Carson Domi. Carson is a young mental health advocate based in Massachusetts. He's joining us as a guest co-host for a mini-series on mental health advocacy and policymaking. I interviewed Carson on episode 30 of the quadcast, and I encourage all of our listeners to go back and listen to that episode. Welcome, Carson. Thanks for joining.
2: Hi, Dana. Thank you so much for the introduction.
1: So Carson has a long history of lobbying the Massachusetts State Legislature on physical and mental health issues, and this episode will be an extension of that work. So, with that, I will turn it over to you, Carson.
2: Great, thank you so much. So, I'm going to introduce Representative Jack Patrick Lewis, who is a state legislator from Framingham, Massachusetts, and represents the Commonwealth's 7th Middlesex District. Since his tenure in the House of Representatives began in 2017, Representative Lewis has been a champion of mental health policy. Representative Lewis has also served as the executive director of Out Metro West, a nonprofit working with LGBT youth, and as an assistant minister and director of religious education at the Unitarian Universalist Society of Wellesley Hills. Representative Lewis, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: So, Representative Lewis, you and I know each other through our work on the Suicide Hotline Bill, which is House Bill 2111, an act relative to student mental health, which would add the Suicide Hotline number on the back of student IDs in both high schools and colleges. Could you talk a little bit about this effort?
0: Yes, and let me just start off by saying how grateful I am to your advocacy and what you've done in the building in connecting with not only myself, but my colleagues. You've been doing this work for for many years, but I just have to say there are folks who are three, four times older than you who have been doing similar work, but not to the extent that you have in such a short period of time. And so I hope you know the... Success of your efforts, and I think you're a model for so many folks, not only your classmates and and colleagues, but for all of us in in organizing around important issues, this one chiefly among them. A couple years back, our local suicide prevention organization here in the Metro West Boston area brought a bill to my attention based on legislation that they had read that passed recently in another state. And the legislation, as Carson just said, would require that the National Suicide Hotline and crisis text line be added to all student IDs from grade 6 all the way through, or grade 7 actually, all the way through college. The idea being that in a time of crisis of oneself or or uh, a time of crisis of, of someone else, that's not the ideal time to be googling supports or looking online for assistance. But instead, we should have a phone number that's readily available. And The idea being that Because as I think Carson and so many other young people know, your student ID is often required to get onto the bus or to get into school. Sometimes to get a discount at a local pizza shop. If you're in college, it might be what you use to get into the dorms, to get lunch on campus. Of all the things that we carry around with us, we found that young people are most likely to have their cell phone and second to that, their student ID And so many communities and and schools, including Carson's high school, have already instituted this policy. But as Carson said, this would take it to the next level, make sure that all of our communities, not just the the handful that already have, make this readily available. So I'm excited. It's moving through the process. Carson, you're doing great advocacy. We built a a diverse coalition. Everyone I talk to, it, it seems like the most straightforward common sense approach. And so I'm cautiously optimistic.
1: Representative Lewis, you initially reached out to Carson after seeing his work getting the hotline put on the ID card at his school. One of the first things that struck me about Carson is how talented he is at communicating about this issue. So my curiosity is how that phone call went and how did it lead to you two working together to advocate for change statewide?
0: Carson, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was multiple colleagues that that reached out to me asking that I meet you, get to know you. I'm trying to remember which, how this actually happened. My memory, it was pre pandemic, so its it was the before times. I remember our, us having a great conversation and being in very regular phone and, and text conversations since then. But, Carson, actually, if you could refresh my memory,
2: you actually wrote me a handwritten letter to my you school, were in the paper. Which, Oh my gosh. Which was a really cool thing to see because handwritten letters now are so far and few in between. So I really appreciated that and then i reached out to another representative that you worked with and was able to get your number and we were able to connect
0: oh my gosh thank you for that memory i'm more of a theme guy which in some ways works in my legislative work but other days i wish i were more detail oriented but i remember the emotions and the positive experiences but yeah so dana to get to your the actual question you asked one of the things i I do each day is i read through the MetroWest daily news it's delivered to my house I, i Don't know how many people actually read the newspaper every day, but it's part of my routine to stay up to date with what's going on in the community. And I remember coming across an article, I think it was Metro West Daily News, might've been one of the other local papers, about this project out in, was it Shrewsbury, right, Carson? Yep. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, we're doing something similar statewide. I I bet we should at least tell him that we're trying to take it to the next level. At the time, I didn't know that Carson was already more connected with my legislative colleagues than than I was at the time. I think actually Carson has a deeper relationship with a more diverse group of legislators than I've been able to develop over the last five years. But I reached out to Carson, I think in the process, Since he didn't live in my district, I wanted to make sure that it was okay to be in contact with someone else's constituent. And so from that initial letter to Carson getting my cell phone from two of the other local reps, we were able to connect. And immediately it was clear to me that Carson was not only going to be an essential partner in getting the student ID suicide prevention hotline bill passed. But since this is an issue very close to my heart youth health and wellness, mental health in particular, that Carson and I would be spending a lot of time together and be in similar advocacy circles. I can't remember actually how many years it has been, but it's been a great honor, again, Carson, to, to work with you, to get to know you, and I can't even imagine what you're going to be able to achieve in the years and decades ahead based on how much you've already been able to accomplish in this realm.
2: I really, really appreciate that. And kind of going off of what you mentioned, with about nine months remaining now in the legislative session, what are some priorities of the legislature when it comes to addressing the mental health crisis right now?
0: We do have nine months. In some ways, we actually have less time. The legislative calendar, we go through the end of December. But any vote that requires a formal roll call, any vote in which somebody may contest the the unanimous support has to happen by the end of July. So, major pieces of legislation that somebody might oppose need to happen in the next couple of months. We're very fortunate that mental health care and legislation connected to this attract support from across political spectrums, all spectrums. And so there's a good chance that even if we don't get something passed by the end of July, nobody would oppose it if it came up for a vote in informal session later this year. So I think there's a couple angles to keep in mind. The Senate passed a larger omnibus mental health bill. I think it's the Mental Health ABC Act 2.0 a couple weeks back, maybe a couple months ago now, that passed unanimously in the Senate. I don't serve in the Senate, so I'll admit that I probably wouldn't be able to answer too many specific questions. Uh, I know the House Chair of the Mental Health Committee is is working on some legislation as well, but that is a wonderful bill, really a testament to Senate President Karen Spilka and Senator Julian Sear, two legislators I have the greatest respect for, two folks that are actually good and close friends who have made Mental health care and parity around mental health care, uh, a number one priority over their years of service in the legislature. And I'm excited to see what the House. We'll be doing in the weeks and months ahead on the subject as well. That's a larger omnibus bill, meaning that if I remember correctly, it tries to address everything from the emergency department boarding crisis that that so many are familiar with, when folks are in a time of crisis and there's nowhere to go. And we hear horror stories on a very regular basis of families who are waiting at the emergency room for a bed to be available in a more appropriate setting. I believe that Senate bill also includes a component around an annual mental health physical. I'm using air quotes, but I realize we're not being recorded on video in the same way that we prioritize our physical health through annual physicals. That bill, if, if passed into law, would require that something similar be developed for mental health care. Again, all of these bills working towards not only meeting folks' emergency needs, be it who to call in a time of crisis or where one could be housed and and served in a time of crisis, but larger, more systemically, how can we make sure that there is greater parity and that mental health is seen with the same importance as as physical health? And I think that the Senate bill is a huge step in that direction. The House, I know, is exploring these topics as well, and hopefully we'll have lots to celebrate in the months ahead. Carson, we have our, our bill that we've talked about before, the student idea bill. And I think the other big piece that is being discussed more and more is social emotional learning. I have kids in the local public schools. I sat next to my now third grader for a year and a half of at home learning. It took its toll on all of us and I know I'm I'm not alone as a parent and I know my kids experiences were not unique but we made the choices we needed to for our collective physical health over the course of the pandemic but knowing that the their larger mental health and social emotional health has taken a hit and so making sure that as we return back to relative normal be it in the classroom or in the larger community that teachers be trained and schools be prepared to serve the larger person the larger student knowing that going to school isn't just about learning some facts and regurgitating them on an annual required exam but that school is where we get a lot of the support that we need to be healthy in so many ways. And so one of the things I'm continuing to look forward to is making sure that the state funds through the annual budget programs to ensure that our schools have the, the guidance counselors and the larger supports that all of our kids deserve, and that schools make sure that social emotional learning is made more paramount, especially in this time of the pandemic.
2: Certainly. And ironically enough, the last episode I actually appeared in on the quadcast, I had mentioned how I testified about Representative Higgins's bill to include mental health in the definition of physical education when it comes to school. So that was something that was funny to see collide as well into this interview. And going back to what you'd mentioned about the Senate passing the Mental Health ABC 2.0 Act, it was so promising to see the legislation and the legislature come together as one to address this. It's a really promising sign for the future. And shifting gears a little bit, something that had caught my eye in the recent weeks, the Hopeful Futures campaign, which is a coalition of national mental health organizations, had released a report that analyzed each of the 50 states' school mental health systems. And when it was talking about Massachusetts, one of the areas that it cited that needs improvement comes with the ratio of students to social workers within the educational space. And for Massachusetts, that ratio is just above one per 1500 students. Do you think that this is something that the legislature is aware of and is actively seeking to address fits in forms of the budget or in a bill of its own?
0: Yes, uh, definitely. The To all those questions, yes, to, to those questions. Many of us are parents. Some of us are grandparents. I, I'm not Yeah, a grandparent. So I think we, on a regular basis, when we interact with uh, our own kids' schools, it's clear that there isn't the mental health supports in place that I think all of our kids deserve and require. So I think there's a couple angles, and I think this isn't a one-and-done issue. I think this is something we need to keep in mind at all times. We set requirements of how many years our kids need to have of math and science in school, which sort of forces the creation of ratios around how many math teachers we need to have and science teachers we need to have. But it's alarming to know that when it comes to the additional supports in our our public schools, that we haven't maybe met the the bare minimum uh, of what our kids most need and deserve. So I know that with the Student Opportunity Act, which was a revamp of the state's mechanism to fund public education because of the pandemic, the rollout has been a wee bit delayed, but I, I'm confident we'll be on track to ensure that our public schools receive greater funding. And with that, hopefully there won't be the same choices between how do we prioritize that one's academic learning and one's larger emotional health. I also know, and this gets into the realm of electoral politics, but there will also be a, an opportunity this November on the ballot to add a surtax to incomes over a million dollars here in Massachusetts, an additional 4%. So this ceases being probably something that's unanimously going to be supported. It might be a very close race on the ballot this November, but those listening who are registered voters, you'll have a chance to, to vote on this surtax, but that money has been They're not targeted, but written in such a way that it will increase the funding towards public education and infrastructure. And so I personally am very excited about what it will mean to have, I think some estimates say, just under a billion dollars. Of additional funding for public education in Massachusetts. And I, for one, will join my colleagues in making sure that social-emotional learning is part of those conversations. So I I went down to a very technical level in a couple of places. But I think bigger than that, making sure that we continue to talk about mental health care in the same way that we talk about physical health care. And I think fighting stigma around that, I think, only improves the likelihood that better funds mental health supports within our schools. If we understand that we are all beings with mental health care, I think there'll be a greater understanding of why we need to better fund and support these programs and these positions. I also think the state has an obligation to reflect on those people who get into this profession. Are they getting the supports that they need and deserve? Are we burning people out by giving them such a large group of students to provide care to? Are we making sure that they're paid at a level that allows them to actually live comfortably, create a family if they want? This requires a multi-step process to make sure that not only the funds are there, but that the people are there in the roles that need to be funded, but that the people who are there are supported as well, so that we're not taking folks who have a lot of student debt and who are underpaid and putting them in positions where they're asked to work miracles with huge numbers of youth and not expect that they're going to burn out and look for alternative professions. I think this is where advocacy comes in, making sure that people like Carson and and others get to know their state reps and their state senators. We hear from constituents all the time about a whole host of issues. And while mental health care is one of those issues. It's certainly not the issue we hear about most. And if we're going to make sure that social emotional learning and and mental health parity is actually a priority of the legislature, it's going to require that we continue to hear from people like Carson and like all of you listening, because choices have to be made and things have to be prioritized. And in a democratic process in which we as the legislature work for our constituents, you all listening, get to decide if we keep our jobs every two years, you're our bosses. And so hearing from you about what you know and feel are important, especially on this subject, I think is vital as we decide how the Student Opportunity Act funds are spent, how the ARPA funds are spent, how potentially the the new funds through the millionaire's tax are spent. And as we explore legislation like the student ID or another bill, the health, mental health excusable absence days. Uh, there's just so many bills that are filed, but hearing from you all allows us to prioritize those that are most important.
2: Yeah, and what really is Struck me when I was reading through that report about the school social worker statistic was that it was six times over the recommended caseload of 250. Obviously, a number like 1500 out there without context doesn't do much information, which is why I just wanted to add that last little piece. Something that I've really tried to emphasize as a point when speaking with either legislators, friends, family members, whoever it may be about mental health is that at the end of the day, policy is only the first step towards solving this. Worldwide cultural crisis. And kind of going on that note, could you talk about a little of how people can work to end the stigma around mental health on a personal basis?
0: Yes. And Carson, again, I think you have done a remarkable job of modeling this for others. I was raised in a place and in a time in which one simply didn't talk about these things. I I don't remember ever hearing an adult in my life growing up talk about going to therapy. Maybe there were whispers behind the scenes, but I, I knew about those in my family who went in for their annual physicals. I, I, I visited family members in the hospital. I, I signed classmates' casts. The physical part of our health is definitely a part of my, my upbringing i have vivid memories of like i said hospitals and casts and conversations about how to better support one another through cancer treatments and post heart attacks and strokes but when it comes to mental health i i simply i didn't hear it in hindsight i know that that people struggle and struggled but the supports weren't there that that maybe i also needed and so i think as hard as it may be the most important thing that any of us can do is to model the behavior that we hope and expect to see in others. And so in the same way that for those of us, especially people like myself, who are in positions where we have great greater privilege than others, and in some cases, captive audiences who have decided to elect us and sometimes put themselves in places where they have to hear us talk, normalize conversations around mental health care, ceasing talking about this in sort of third person as, you know, I'm advocating for funds for them or some other group, when in reality, so many of us at some point in our lives have needed greater support. And sometimes that means chats with friends. And sometimes that means talking to a professional. And I think The more we talk about it, the more we normalize the idea of going to a therapist. And I I hope to continue to follow Carson's example, even though, as I said before, it's not how uh, I was necessarily raised. But I, I have sought mental health support in the past and knowing that if I ever need to talk to a professional again, I have those people, those connections that have been made. I think as one gets older, you hopefully develop good friendships and you know who those people are in your life that you can lean on, be those friends or family. But I think it's also so important to know when one needs to to seek greater support. And in the same way that no one should be web MDing their physical health symptoms and relying on a Google search to get all the support they need or the advice of friends around physical health. There are times where we all need to support one another and other times where we need to go above and beyond that. And so normalize conversations around mental health. And if people like myself talking about going to therapy and when and how I decided to do that, if that can help normalize some of these conversations, I'm happy to do it. And I, my hope is, and really I, I, I'm confident this is the case, that over time, more and more folks will feel more comfortable having these conversations And before we know it, we'll realize that we're surrounded by people who have been working with professionals over the years and have sought assistance. And hopefully in the future, when somebody needs to seek greater support, they don't try to go it alone, but that they know where to turn, be it the back of their student IDs or their guidance counselor at school or their therapist that they have on speed dial, which I know is the case for myself and plenty of others.
1: Representative Lewis, I just want to cut in here for a moment before we end. You were speaking to this a a bit about the way that mental health is so personal for so many people, because we all have a connection to it in one way or another. And I'm curious to know if working in mental health is different from many of the many other issues you work on and and how it's different because it is so personal for people.
0: Great question. I have felt that this has been an essential component of all the work I've ever done, be it in a church setting or a nonprofit setting, a, a youth group setting, or now in the legislature. I don't want to speak in hyperbole, but a lot of the things we work on, none of it matters if we ourselves aren't in a good place and if those around us aren't in a good place and so i'm happy to to debate and work on a whole bunch of issues but if i myself am not in a good place to to be fully present and healthy if those around me aren't being supported it's really hard to worry about potholes and uh, school funding and and so for me None of that really matters if we're not in a good place and supporting one another. And so I think as we explore everything else the legislature does, supporting each other and our community students, I think needs to be paramount and we will fail at everything else we try to do if we're not being supportive of one another as the basis of all that we do.
2: Thank you so much, Representative Lewis. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us in all the best to you and your family in the coming year.
0: Again, thank you so much, Carson. I can't imagine this work without you. I'm excited to follow your academic and professional journey. We still need to get the student hotline bill across the finish line. So I, we're, you're going to be hearing from me uh, a lot. And I know you'll be in regular communication. To those listening, though, I... Even if you don't have the time, as Carson has put into this advocacy, I just want to urge folks to get to know their state reps and their state senators. Make these connections. Maybe mental health isn't your number one issue, but find the issues that are important to you and advocate to the, your legislators on those subjects. Our job is to work for you. We don't hear from most of our constituents, but I think I can speak for all of my colleagues when I say we appreciate hearing from our constituents, knowing where people are on, on lots of issues and students in particular, even if you're not yet of age to be a registered voter, you still are our constituents. You may be future voters, but we have a responsibility to serve you. And it doesn't matter how, how old you are, beginning the process, process of engaging in the democratic process through advocacy is important at all ages. So again, thank you so much, Carson, for this invitation. uh, And I look forward to what we're going to continue to do together. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to Mary Christie where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.